Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and thanks for tuning in to the second episode of Insidious Inspirations. Not too much to talk about this week, and a really cool episode uh, following behind this announcement block, so I'm going to make this as quick as possible. First, next week we'll have a special crossover episode with Rooster Teeth's Black Box Down, you can expect to hear Gus Sorolla and Chris Maris come onto our show and talk about aviation disasters and gremlins. And, of course, no crossover would be complete without Nicole going over to Black Box Down to talk about famous aviation disasters in some of our favorite movies. So make sure you catch both of those awesome crossover episodes. We'll have links to both of them in our show notes uh, next week. And after that's done... I'm excited to announce we have a three-part series focusing on the Conjuring films coming up next. I'm super excited to dive into those films. Uh, they were, of course, some of the first films I researched for this show, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But that's all I have to talk about for today. Uh, but if you're enjoying the show and you like what we do, please give us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Or if you really, really like the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to get our show into the ears of new listeners. And one last note, if you don't want to hear introductions and you don't want to be interrupted by ads, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash insidiouspod, where for just $5 a month, you can get access to ad-free and bonus episodes. Without further ado, enjoy this week's episode. In 1988, adults and children alike were introduced to the terror of Chucky the Killer Doll with the release of Child's Play, directed by Tom Holland, no, not that one, and written by Holland, Don Machini, and John Mafia. The supernatural slasher film tells the story of a widowed mother who inadvertently gifts her son a doll possessed by the soul of a dead serial killer named Charles Lee Ray. The movie and its foul-mouthed, pint-sized villain gained a cult following and spawned a massively successful media franchise including six sequels, merchandise, yeah, you can buy the Chucky doll for yourself, comic books, and a recent TV series. But long before Chucky dealt his first killing blow or made his first quip, there was another devilish doll making himself a household name. To understand the cursed doll that predates Child's Play and its massive media footprint, we must go back to the 1900s and meet a young boy who, like many other children, grew incredibly attached to his favorite toy. Unlike most toys, however, this one came with a curse attached. This is the story of Robert, a simple doll that would go on to become one of the most infamous haunted objects in the world. I'm Nicole Goodnight, and this is Insidious Inspirations. Key West, Florida is a vivid, colorful vacation spot studded with gingerbread mansions and conch houses. The palm tree-lined streets lead to the shores of gorgeous, but always crowded beaches where you can lounge and watch the red glow of the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico. It's a little bit of salt-rimmed heaven with a slice of lime, right out of a Jimmy Buffett song. But it's also the place where our story begins. On October 25, 1900, Robert Eugene Otto was born to the wealthy and prominent Otto family. The first few years of his life were pleasant, if uneventful. Robert, or Jean, to his family, was a polite, friendly child. 
He spent his days toddling around in the Florida sunshine dressed in a white sailor suit. When Jean was four years old, however, he received a very special gift that would become his new best friend. Jean's grandfather, who had been aboard in Germany, returned to Florida with a stuffed doll. The doll was large, standing at three feet tall with a fabric face and eyes made from little black beads nestled into sockets. As soon as Jean laid his eyes on the doll, it was love at first sight. He declared that the doll would be called Robert, using his own first name, though he didn't go by it anymore, and his family dressed it in one of his old sailor suits. Now that they dressed alike and had the same first name in common, an inseparable bond had been forged. Wherever Jean went, Robert would surely go too. It all sounds a bit like the setup for a quirky coming-of-age movie about a little boy and his favorite toy going on adventures together and, well, learning valuable lessons along the way. Unfortunately for the rest of the Otto family, they were in for an entirely different kind of story. Some children often engage in bizarre behavior, talking to imaginary friends and creating entire fictional worlds to inhabit while they play. Jean displayed a typical vivid imagination, speaking to and about Robert as if he were not a lifeless doll, but another living person. Jean insisted that Robert be given his own chair at the dinner table and be tucked into bed with him every single night. Mr. and Mrs. Otto saw no reason to be concerned about this behavior and even found it sweet that their son had grown so attached to his grandfather's generous gift. It was a bit frustrating when Jean began blaming accidents around the house on the doll, claiming a broken vase or spilled glass of milk was all Robert's fault. But they understood. Jean was just a little boy trying to avoid punishment by blaming his toy for his own mistakes. They gently admonished him for lying, but didn't lose any sleep over it. They even brushed it off when they could hear their son whispering to the doll and carrying on conversations with it. That is, until they heard a voice answering back. One night, while on her way to check on her son, Mrs. Otto heard him speaking to Robert the doll. She could not understand what he was saying, only that he was whispering very quickly and intently. Every so often he would pause, as if to give the doll a chance to respond. She was just about to open the door and tell Jean that it was time for bed when she heard a deep voice respond. Whoever was speaking, it did not sound like her son. She flung open the door only to find Jean sitting alone with only Robert beside him. Mr. Otto insisted that Jean was putting on a voice, pretending to be his favorite toy speaking back to him, but Mrs. Otto could not shake the feeling of unease that prickled the back of her neck. Something was wrong, even if she couldn't prove it. Soon, Robert's activity would escalate to a point that neither she nor her husband could ignore. One night, as the two slept soundly in bed, the sound of screaming tore through the house. It was the sound every parent knows by heart and dreads hearing, the cries of their child in extreme distress. What was happening? Had Jean been hurt? Was there an intruder in the house? They could hear the crash of heavy objects falling to the floor mixed in with the screams. It sounded like someone was tearing the room apart. They scrambled out of bed and rushed to their son's bedroom, prepared to rescue or defend him. They found him curled up on the floor, wailing, surrounded by chaos. Toys were scattered across the floor, chairs overturned, blankets ripped off the bed and cast aside. The room looked as if a tiny tornado had ripped through it with Jean at the center. The autos scooped up their sobbing child, drying his face and repeatedly asking him, what happened? What's wrong? 
he could only repeat the same phrase. Robert did it. The doll sat at the foot of the bed, staring straight ahead with its dark, beady eyes. Once they got Gene settled down and back into bed, his parents had one question on their minds. What should they do about Robert? Gene was so enamored with the doll. It was his best friend, but how long could they live like this? What would happen next? They decided to spare their son the trauma of ripping his closest companion away from him. Instead, they would just keep a watchful eye out for more unusual occurrences, and hope that this would be the last time they would hear strange noises from their son's bedroom. Of course, it was only the beginning. Robert remained a fixture in the lives of the Otto family for years. Throughout that time, odd and even frightening things continued to happen around the house wherever the doll could be found. While tidying the house, Mrs. Otto would hear childish giggling coming from Jean's bedroom, the mischievous sound of a little boy getting into trouble. One day, when she heard the peals of muffled laughter, she opened the door, expecting to see Jean sneaking cookies before supper or while playing with the frog he had snuck in from outside. Instead, she found the room was empty, except for Robert. She could have sworn Jean had left the doll on his bed, but now he was perched in a chair in the corner, head turned towards the door, almost as if he had been expecting her. As she hurried out of the room, a chill running down her spine, she could almost swear that his shiny, soulless little eyes watched her go. Like a family living by the railroad tracks who eventually become accustomed to the sound of groaning metal and high-pitched train whistles at all hours of the night, Robert the Doll's antics began to fade into the background for the Otto family as the years went by. It was unusual and often disconcerting, but no one was ever harmed, and Jean still loved Robert dearly in spite of his impish nature. Just as Jean had as a little boy, the family began to dismiss anything unexplained that occurred in the house as simply Robert's doing. Books had been knocked off a shelf? Robert did it. Toys missing from the toy box? Robert did it. Disembodied whispers and laughter in the dead of night. Yet again, Robert did it. Robert's antics were not always innocent fun, however. At times they became more aggressive, even cruel. One day, Mrs. Otto went to Jean's room to call him down for lunch, only to hear him sniffling softly on the other side of the door. She opened the door a crack and called to him, asking if he was all right. He continued to cry and didn't answer. When she entered the room, Mrs. Otto saw the remains of a massacre. A massacre of toys, that is. A teddy bear was ripped open, stuffing poured out like viscera. Another doll had its head twisted off and cast to the side. Wheels were ripped from toy cars, and a model airplane was crushed into rubble. She didn't need to ask Jean who had done this. She already knew. Still, her son looked up at her with red, tear-filled eyes and whispered, Robert did it. The Otto family were not the only ones to witness Robert's supernatural behavior. One day a plumber was called into the home to make several repairs to the pipes. After the man arrived, the family left on a group outing in order to give him some space to work. While in the bathroom closet to Jean's room, his efforts were interrupted by the sound of children's laughter. This gave him pause as there was not supposed to be anyone in the house with him. He called out to the voice, asking who was there, but no one answered. He popped his head into Jean's room and saw Robert sitting in the window with a miniature stuffed dog in his lap. It must have been his imagination, he thought, or someone outside just passing by. He returned to his work and again he heard it. 
the distinct sound of a child laughing in the next room. Irritated that someone was playing a trick on him and interfering with his job, he barged into Jean's room again intent on catching the prankster. He searched all around the room and found no one there. When he turned back to the window, however, his heart leapt into his throat. The doll, which had been previously sitting on one side of the window, leaned up against its frame, had moved to the opposite side. Somehow, it had moved. The little stuffed dog was missing from its lap, too. He turned and saw the toy dog laying on the floor across the room as if the doll had thrown it. Slowly, the plumber exited the room and returned to his work, with shakier hands than before. He did not go back into the bedroom again. And so, Jean and Robert grew up together. Jean pursuing his creative side and growing into a sensitive, artistically inclined young man, with Robert the doll always by his side. But, as all children eventually do, Jean grew up, and he decided to leave home and pursue his dreams of becoming a painter. He would go to New York and then on to Paris and work to refine his artistic craft. There was no room for childish things in this new chapter of his life, and so he left Robert behind in his childhood home, where the doll sat gathering dust, placid, stitched smile fixed in place, waiting patiently for his friend to return. But their story was not even close to being over, and Robert and Jean would soon reunite for a brand new chapter. Up next, we learn about the curse of Robert the doll that has followed him long after Eugene Otto's death, and why this is one toy you should never, ever disrespect. But first, a word from our sponsors. If you're interested in listening to the show ad-free and getting access to bonus content, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash insidiouspod. And now, back to our show. While studying at the Parisian Sorbonne, Jean met a woman named Annette Parker, a concert pianist. The two fell in love and married. They had no plans to return to Florida, but after Jean's parents passed away, he returned to his childhood home with Annette, planning to make a new life and a new family there. Annette got a job as a pianist at the La Concha Hotel, and Jean set up an art studio space in the spacious mansion where he grew up. Upon his return to Key West, Jean found a house filled with memories of his childhood and one beloved toy that had been anticipating his return, Robert. Jean was thrilled to be reunited with his childhood companion, though Annette was less enthusiastic. She found Robert unsettling to look at, from his frozen expression to the shiny black beady eyes that seemed to follow her around the room. Much to Annette's dismay, Jean began doting on Robert, and even gave the doll his own room in the attic filled with furniture, toys, and a tiny teddy bear to keep him company. Though Jean preferred to keep the doll in the room with him, especially while working on his paintings, his wife's obvious discomfort forced him to compromise. He agreed to leave Robert locked up in his attic room, at least while Annette was home. However, Robert was not fond of this idea, and began to rebel. Though Robert was supposedly locked up in the attic, he began to pop up in other parts of the house, as if he had somehow escaped his imprisonment when no one was looking. Passersby would spot him sitting in a chair in an upstairs window, looking down at the street below. Neighborhood children would gawk at the creepy doll in the window, shrieking with a combination of fear and delight, as the doll appeared to vanish from sight in the blink of an eye, only to reappear again later. 
Other neighbors began avoiding the house entirely, taking the long way around the block while walking their dogs or taking a casual stroll. They didn't like the feeling of the doll's eyes on them, gazing down from the window. Things were just as strange inside the house. Annette and family friends who came to visit would find that objects had moved around on their own, rearranged by an invisible menace. They would also hear laughter echoing through the halls and tiny footsteps coming from Robert's attic room. After a lifetime with Robert, Jean paid no mind to this activity. He was just happy to have the company again. In 1974, Jean passed away and the Otto Mansion was sold to Myrtle Reuter two years later. With the house, Myrtle also inherited ownership of Robert the doll. Myrtle's daughter protested against having the doll in the house, insisting that he was evil, but Myrtle insisted on keeping him. Like Jean before her, she had grown attached to the little guy, in spite of his mischief and ghostly activity. So Robert spent 20 years living with Myrtle, his spectral footsteps echoing through the house, his laughter bubbling out of empty rooms late at night. She even brought him with her when she moved out of the auto mansion, allowing him to haunt a new home for a while. We'll never know what made Myrtle finally decide to part ways with Robert, what the last straw for her might have been. Maybe Robert broke one too many valuables. Maybe he had pulled a prank that went too far. Or maybe she just finally wanted to get a good night's sleep without the ghostly laughter of an inhuman child keeping her awake. Whatever the case may be, Myrtle donated Rob to the Fort East Martello Museum in 1994, warning them to be careful with this new, haunted acquisition. At first, they didn't take her words seriously, but before long, the staff began to notice an undeniable energy shift inside the museum. Today, Robert the Doll sits in a glass case at the Fort East Martello Museum, greeting his adoring fans day after day. The ravages of time have left Robert looking much more haunted than he once did. His fabric face and body are worn, eaten by moths and environmental stressors. Though his sailor suit is crisply pressed and unstained, his age is beginning to show. But his appearance isn't the only thing that suggests that his spirit is still alive. Guests and museum staff alike have reported seeing Robert move his hand to rest it against the glass and have seen his facial expressions change to one of anger when something disrespectful is said about him or the Otto family. The most concerning thing about Robert the Doll in his new captivity is not any of these small movements, however, but a curse that supposedly afflicts anyone who disrespects him. Mocking Robert to his face or even taking his picture without asking permission first is said to invite horrible misfortune and even death. It may sound like a superstition cooked up to boost museum ticket sales, but there are dozens of accounts by those who believe that Robert cursed them. In June of 2009, a man named Howard and his family were visiting Key West from New Hampshire, basking in the sun and taking in the picturesque seaside. The family had a penchant for ghost stories and decided to visit Robert the Doll in his museum home. At the front desk, the woman selling the tickets issued a brief warning make sure to ask Robert's permission before taking his picture. Howard laughed it off. Why would he ask a doll for permission to do anything? If the museum had no rule against taking photographs, he would take all the pictures he wanted. So, as his family approached Robert's glass case, Howard pulled out his camera and snapped three quick photos of the doll. Then, the family proceeded into the museum's art gallery where a painting caught Howard's eye. 
He went to take a photo but found an error message on his camera's screen. No images. Perplexed, he began to look through the camera and found that all of his family's vacation photos were gone. Somehow, in the moments between Robert's room and this one, every picture on the camera had been erased. Howard brushed this off as an unfortunate coincidence. A technological glitch with the camera that just happened to coincide with taking Robert's picture. The next day, Howard and his family went parasailing, and he asked the boat's captain to take some footage with his camera. When they arrived home, however, the video wasn't there. The file had disappeared. He took the camera back to the store to complain, but there was nothing wrong with the camera. Howard took to TripAdvisor to tell his story, warning anyone who read it to listen to the woman at the front desk and ask Robert's permission before taking his picture. In 2015, a woman took a trip to Key West with her husband and children, wanting to spend more quality time together before her oldest child left for college. During the trip, the kids begged to take a stop at the museum and visit Robert the doll. Though the other children treated Robert with reverence, or at least general politeness, her second oldest child did not. She made faces at Robert through the glass, teasing her siblings for being scared of a doll. He wasn't haunted, she insisted. And the legend surrounding him was a big joke intended to scare tourists. Little did she know how much she would soon regret it. A week after getting home from vacation, the girl tripped and fell while jogging. She injured her ankle, badly enough that she couldn't participate in any sports throughout her senior year of high school. A week later, she was in a car accident and lost her driver's license, forcing her to take the bus to school each day. A month into the school year, she and her boyfriend broke up. After this year of disastrous luck, she approached her mother and demanded that, before she left for college, they return to Key West so she could apologize to Robert for being so rude. Maybe then her luck would finally turn around. Robert the Doll is more popular now than ever, receiving one to three letters every single day, most of which are apologies. People beg Robert for forgiveness after being rude to him or taking his photo without permission and then facing the consequences. One of the hundreds of letters he has received reads as follows. Robert, I just wanted to let you know that I, unlike my friends, have total respect for you. When I questioned your powers last fall, I missed my flight from Miami and nearly missed an important court date. This weekend, when I related my tragic tale to my friends, they openly questioned whether you even existed, much less your powers of revenge. Well, the next day, one of them had a flat tire, and the others were trapped in traffic on Interstate 90. Perhaps now they understand. I fervently hope they will cease their mockery. Maybe even some will venture to your wonderful home and pay you a friendly visit. In the meantime, let me just say that I appreciate your attenuation of Tropical Storm Fay and hope that the other Denzians of Key West are appropriately grateful. Another apology from October 2010 reads, Dear Robert, I visited you a little over a month ago, and I never asked you if I could take your picture. And let me tell you, you've definitely made me regret that. The day after I returned home from Florida, I got my first speeding ticket. And then I've been having problem after problem with my car, so basically what I'm trying to say is that I am sincerely sorry for not asking before I took your picture. That was very rude of me, and you have definitely made me learn my lesson. Other letters are simply fan mail, expressing their love of Robert and appreciation for his legacy as a piece of haunted Florida history. He receives a constant stream of gifts, including money, candy, and occasionally joints. <laughs> 
The museum has requested that people stop leaving the ladder as it is inappropriate for a museum and Robert may be rather flammable. Most of this attention is fielded by Corey Convertito, curator of the museum, who acts almost as an assistant to the doll, handling his correspondence and even his social media presence. So, does she think Robert is haunted? She says, I don't know. I really don't. I've never had a bad experience with him. I've never felt uncomfortable. It's always been a very basic relationship, and I have a job to do, and I go and do it. And whether there's something to it or not, he just allows me to get on with my job. Robert the Doll is over 117 years old now, and he doesn't seem like he's going anywhere anytime soon. Life as a public figure suits him well, and he's content to remain on display for now, as long as everyone treats him with the respect he deserves. Don Mancini has never directly cited Robert the Doll as the inspiration for Chucky, drawing ideas for his take on the murderous doll from the way toy companies market to children and other horror media such as The Twilight Zone. However, there is no separating media about mischievous living dolls from the most famous haunted doll of all time, one that still has a hold on popular culture over a century after he was first given as a birthday present. Whether or not Robert the Doll directly caused the creation of the Chucky franchise, it and every other story of an innocent child's toy coming to life to do wicked deeds has his unearthly little fingerprints all over it. Thank you for tuning in to Insidious Inspirations. If you love the show and you love what we do here, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash insidiouspod. There, for just $5 a month, you can get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, as well as take a sneak peek at upcoming episodes, and get your name in the credits, right here, where I'm talking. Wouldn't it be so much cooler to hear your name instead of me reading an ad? It would. So, check us out at patreon.com slash insidiouspod. Our host and narrator is Nicole Goodnight. This week's writer was Addison Peacock. Our editor and musician is the incredibly talented Danny Sweet, and I'm your showrunner, Pacific S. Obadiah. Our producers are Tom Owen and Brad Miska, and this is a bloody, disgusting production. For more information, visit insidious.show. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.